This episode of the Voices of Victors podcast brought to you by the University of Michigan Credit Union, the official auto loan provider of the Alumni Association of the University of Michigan. Go farther with UMCU. Auto loans new to UMCU have low rates that let you cover more ground for less. Visit umcu.org today. Insured by NCUA. From the Alumni Association of the University of Michigan, this is the Voices of Victors podcast. And in this episode, romance is in the air. Valentine's Day is coming up, a holiday that the ancient Romans may very well be responsible for. Emperor Claudius II executed two men, both named Valentine, on February 14th of different years in the 3rd century AD. And it was their martyrdom, honored by the Catholic Church many years later, that led to the celebration of St. Valentine's Day. How we made it from there to candy and chocolates and cards is anybody's guess, and probably a great topic for another podcast. But today, let's talk about stories of true love that happened right in Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan. We have a pair of alums that are sharing their stories today. Also coming up in the podcast, two virtual events that you are not going to want to miss. But first, let's get started with Guess That Grad. What researcher pioneered one of the world's first polio vaccines after working with U of M's head of epidemiology? Give that some thought. We'll have the answer later in the podcast. As read by Danica, our first story is sweaty palms, butterflies, awkward conversations, and class partners. And what happens when you let your hair down, or in this case, put it in a ponytail, and suddenly your class partner is something more. Walking down the hall that day, out of breath from hiking up the long staircase to the fourth floor of Angel Hall, I looked at my watch. Dang, I thought, I'm 20 minutes early. It wasn't the first time I had arrived early, seeing as I was a freshman in the first week of classes. At the end of the deserted hallway, I could see someone in an orange baseball cap sitting in the corner, slouched over a book. I approached him in awkward silence and took a seat a little distance away. As I sat against the wall, I could not make out his facial features, although I did a good job of staring. He intrigued me, although I did not know why. I wanted to say something, but every time I tried to speak, the words stuck in my throat. I noticed that he held the packet we needed for American Culture 100, the class for which we were both early. I finally got the courage to speak. Where did you get that packet? What a dumb question. He looked up, his soft almond brown eyes set into a slightly tanned but freckled face looked at mine, and he answered, AccuCopy. That was it. That was the conversation I had been planning for five minutes. I blurted out, Where is AccuCopy? He scooted down the hallway toward me, leaned over with his planner in hand, and flipped to a campus map at the back. Let's see. We are here, in Angel Hall, and AccuCopy is right here. He pointed to a building on the map, not even a block from my dormitory, and worse yet, within sight of Angel Hall. He got up and walked over to a window. Right there, he said, pointing. I walked over, already embarrassed at what I knew I was going to see. Sure enough, big red neon letters read AccuCopy. I smiled and laughed nervously. So can you buy those packets there? Oh my gosh. Yup, he said, smiling an amazing smile. I had not noticed that floods of students had come through the door at the end of the hallway and were walking into the unlocked classroom. I stumbled in behind the boy in the orange cap and sat next to a friend from my dorm. The professor walked in and handed out a sheet. This class will be the sign-up for group presentations. You may pick one of the readings from the syllabus and present in a group on the date specified. The sign-up sheet reached me, and I noticed that there were three name slots for every reading. 
I had already made two friends in the class because we lived in the same dorm, so it seemed only reasonable to sign up with the group they had started. But I felt compelled to write my name in a different slot, so I put my name under a different reading, started a completely new group, and passed the sheet along. When I got the sheet back, I looked at who had signed up with me, Diana and Paul. Paul? Who is that? I tapped my friend on the shoulder and whispered, Who is this? She answered with a grin, He's the one in the orange cap over there. He's cute. Way to go. Two days later, I walked into class and saw Paul sitting there, early again, and this time, I sat by him. Where did I get this courage? Hey, I said, calmly and casually, when do you want to get together for our project? He answered, Sunday at one? Let's meet at the ugly then. Well, that was that. We sat in silence the rest of the time. My mission was failing. This was going horribly. As it turns out, I got strep throat that week. And it became so bad that my mom had to pick me up on Friday to take me to the doctor. I spent much of the weekend sipping juice, cringing at every swallow, until I remembered that I had that 1 p.m. meeting for our presentation on Monday. 45 minutes later, I was back in Ann Arbor. As I passed by the windows, lining the side of the library, I became aware of my unsightliness. No makeup, hair in a greasy ponytail, and a whopper of a zit on my face. To make matters worse, I was still sick and hacking all over the place. It is all over, I told myself. He will never think anything of me now. But as we started our discussion about the book, I felt relaxed. Maybe it was the lack of hope for any romantic connection due to my previously inept conversational skills and my current disheveled appearance. He then smiled his warm smile and the presentation disappeared from our minds. We talked about everything else, where we were from, how we had ended up at U of M, and our friends back home. A few years after our meeting, as we were looking toward our wedding, we were reminiscing about the day when we met in the hallway. Before I told my version of the story, Paul told me his. He said that I had looked beautiful that day, and he wanted to get to know me better. He signed up to be in my group on purpose, hoping that he would get another chance to talk to me, because he felt embarrassed for answering my questions with one-word answers. It turns out that I did not need to redeem myself any more than he felt he did. The relationship that had started with a dumb question ended up giving me a wonderful answer. 20 years after their first meeting in Angel Hall, Emma and Paul Pirtle, both 2005 graduates, are married and the parents of three children. Emma is a photographer based in metropolitan Detroit. So, let's revisit Guess That Grad. Were you able to figure it out? What researcher pioneered one of the world's first polio vaccines after working with U of M's head of epidemiology? That would be Jonas Salk. Born and educated in New York City, Jonas Salk, who earned an honorary degree in 1955, came to U of M in 1942 on a research fellowship. While in Ann Arbor, he reconnected with Thomas Francis Jr., head of epidemiology for the School of Public Health, a man who was a friend and mentor of Salk's at New York University. Through their work, Francis taught Salk the methodology of vaccine development. This formed the basis of Salk's further work, which would eventually lead to the announcement of his polio vaccine on April 12, 1955, at the University of Michigan. Our next love story, as read by Danica, is less about butterflies and sweaty palms and more about life-threatening situations. What happens when the one you love is serving their country half a world away while you're attending classes at the University of Michigan? This is a Gulf War love story. I began my senior year at the university as a newlywed, having married Scott, my high school sweetheart, on Labor Day weekend, 1990. We took a brief honeymoon through Toronto and Niagara-on-the-Lake and then set up residence in a small town near Ann Arbor. 
I began my morning commutes to 8 a.m. classes without complaint, memories of antique shops and vineyards and evenings by the fire still fresh in my mind. We had waited a long time to arrive at this point. When we parted in high school, I was leaving home to begin my stay at Michigan, and Scott was bound for the U.S. Army. We continued to write and date, but it irked me that he got to visit the sites and countries that I was often studying in class. He made up for it, though, with fabulous presents. Perfume from Paris, a cashmere scarf from Germany, real Belgian chocolate. I have yet to taste anything that compares. His proposal my junior year was followed by the longest separation of all, a one-year deployment to South Korea, taking his rotation on the demilitarized zone. He was not allowed home. While I spent that time juggling classes and planning a wedding, I remember walking past North Hall, thinking of Scott and wondering why the ROTC candidates always conducted their exercises outside. They got laughed at a lot, which had to be difficult. Anything connected to the military seemed difficult. Finally, Scott reached his end-of-time serve date. He was sent home, and a month later we were husband and wife. The autumn of 1990 seemed the beginning of something monumental. All of the hopes and dreams that we had been working toward for years were becoming reality. Then it happened. The U.S.-led coalition forces reacted to Iraq's invasion of Kuwait. Scott and I watched the events unfold on CNN in January 1991. Missile footage played over and over again. The news was followed by a Western Union telegram indicating that Scott received a stop-loss order and was required to report for active duty in seven days. We got our affairs together, celebrated my birthday early, and said goodbye at the airport. We had been married four months. I cried all night and then made my regular commute to campus the next day. I got off the bus and made my way through lines of students protesting the U.S. presence in the Persian Gulf. By the time I made it to class, the tears had stopped, but I was greeted by more protesters boycotting classes. I recognized many of those faces and wanted to hit something. I had two papers due that I did not, could not write. Even still, I went to class and explained my situation. One professor granted me a week's extension. Another gave me all the time I needed. I listened politely to their politics and then made my way through the Diag and past the ROTC building to my last class. This time, I understood why the candidates were conducting drills outside. I thought every student protester should have to spend the day watching them. I passed through those first weeks in a fog. Then, some patches of sunlight came. An acquaintance of Scott's heard of our situation and gave us a gift. A new invention called a cellular phone. It weighed five pounds, but I could carry it in my backpack. And Scott could contact me anytime he was able, from the other side of the world. One day, as I sat eating my lunch in the Michigan Union, the phone in my backpack rang. Several curious eyes watched me receive word that, for now, Scott was in Germany, training, waiting for orders. I smiled for the first time in what seemed like forever. During classes, professors and teaching assistants devoted entire lectures and discussion groups to war in general or the Gulf War in particular. I began slowly to dissect it, to see how the literature, politics, history, and social reforms that I was studying related to the real world. To me, to Scott, to all Americans. I also learned how greatly we are connected to each other as humans. In one fragile moment, I cried a waterfall of tears on my father's shoulder. A veteran himself, he had hoped that a sacrifice would bring a peaceful world to his children. It did not. But it brings the knowledge that all the freedoms we enjoy are created and protected by people who care enough to risk their lives. By God's grace, my romance has a happy ending. While Scott was stationed in Germany, waiting to be in the next wave of troops sent to the Persian Gulf, the ceasefire was declared. I still had that issue of the stars and stripes at the bottom of my Lane Cedar chest, a wedding gift from my parents. Scott returned home in April 1991, and on May 4th of that year, I graduated. 
The commencement speaker was none other than George H.W. Bush, 41st President of the United States. I'll never forget standing in that sun-filled stadium, wearing my cap and gown and holding Scott's hand. As I recall, I let go only long enough to wipe away tears and to applaud. Michelle Olekwinex, class of 91, and her husband celebrated their 30th wedding anniversary last September. They have two sons, the eldest of whom is currently actively serving in the U.S. Army. The Alumni Association of the University of Michigan is a great place to connect with community. The Alumni Association, Football Alumni of Michigan, and U of M Black Alumni are hosting a virtual event as part of the 2021 MLK Symposium that will examine the African-American student-athlete experience at U of M. The event takes place on Thursday, February 18th at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Former athletes of our flagship sports will share how they create a community as Black student-athletes, their experiences beyond sports, and how they have addressed social justice issues since graduation. The panelists include Tom Goss, Jimmy King, Doris Simmons, Ashley Jones, and Dr. Eric Mays as moderator. Then on February 23rd, join us for a virtual sit-down with former Michigan men's basketball coach John Beeline. Michigan Daily alum Nicole Arbach, now a senior writer at The Athletic, is going to be sitting down with Coach Beeline to reflect on his time at the U of M and get his thoughts on the basketball season. Plus, this is your chance to ask Coach Beeline a question. We're collecting questions in advance of the event, and we'll use the best ones during the show. Need info on how to attend? Visit our website at alumni.umich.edu. The Alumni Association of the University of Michigan provides community and connection for your fellow alumni. Have you become a member? We invite you to do so. Visit our website at alumni.umich.edu. We're featuring University of Michigan alumni and sharing their stories. If you like what you heard, give this podcast a rating and review and hit the subscribe button or ask your smart speaker to play the Voices of Victors podcast. Until next time, wherever you go, go blue.